Judge and Jury is not your ordinary crime podcast. Our intention is to bring awareness to unknown cases or those some are reluctant to talk about. We will provide facts on the case while discussing and offering opinions based on law, testimony, and evidence. Some topics may be controversial and unsuitable for children. However, if this sparks your interest, stick around while we dive in. I liked the dialogue that we had about the crime scene. Like, if I'm an officer and I'm doing my job and you walk up and I'm nervous, I can shoot you because I'm nervous. Like, that was basically how, and that's not literally how you said it, but that's how right, I but it, no. right? Uh-huh. <laughs> So, what I did in the conversation was what I do with normal people. But I think what I should do in the conversation is what I want to do with normal people. <laughs> what I do with normal people is like, well, what I, what I normally do in settings like that is say something that's kind of more politically correct. But what I really think is if you are nervous around multiple people, having a gun is going to make it worse. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, the point is, like, the point of us having this podcast is to express opinions. Whether we agree or not, it's not important. It's just us expressing the opinion, right? So what I did was kind of be agreeable in a situation where I I wasn't necessarily. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, and you shouldn't be. No, exactly. So... I want to do a better job of that, and um, we probably will have that exchange again, and I will, but Mm -hmm. the reason I mentioned that is because I don't want to have to re-record, because that was a time where I think (laughs) we could have had some really good dialogue, but because I kind of conceded, yeah, Mm -hmm. right, to not be argumentative, I just Mm -hmm. didn't, I was like, yeah, but you know, like that. But yeah, no, it should be like you state that, and you know, I'd be like, you know, well, I disagree. So this is why I hear you, mm-hmm. but I disagree. Like those, like, right. that kind of thing. That's the point. Life is boring if we all think alike, and exactly. we can disagree on. <laughs> so anyway, right? I and think I think this is just life, though. How exactly, and and I think sometimes when people. <sighs> disagree or feel like they're disagreeing is they feel like they can't disagree respectfully you Mm -hmm. know it's like Mm -hmm. like you said I hear you and I understand where you're coming from but you know and not Mm -hmm. to negate what I just said but it's Mm -hmm. still that if you are a a police officer you know which they used to call what peace officers or something Mm -hmm. that this is that you are not frightened if you're in a predominantly black neighborhood, if you're Caucasian or, you know, Hispanic or whatever, Mm -hmm. that you're not black, that you're nervous. And if that's the case, then you shouldn't carry a, a, you know, a gun and you pick like for me, I know I don't want to deal with customers. I'm, I will never work in customer service. I did as a teenager, (laughs) but I'm, because you have to know yourself. I can never be a teacher. I give props to all educators because I just know my patience isn't there. And so it's kind of like you pick your your job. I couldn't be a mm-hmm. police officer. Not because I'm going to go shoot everybody, but because I'm I'm a little timid, you know, in certain situations. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. I'm thinking, if it's me or you, <laughs> probably going to be you. <laughs> and that, you know, that may be so. And I think people don't think like that. You know what right, I mean? And right, like you right. said, it's good to 
have the dialogue because you get other people's opinions and then you can look at it and be like, oh, you know what? I never thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. I think it was actually a good exchange. I you held back. the potential. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did, for sure. Yeah. And, and because it's such a touchy subject, a lot of times we think or people hear these conversations like we just want to go shoot up the police. Well, in a lot of cases, at least especially where we are, you know, um, a lot of these people are our friends and family. A lot of the police officers are our friends and family. So in no way are we saying or am I advocating for just pulling out your gun and, and shooting at a police officer. But I do think that it's important to recognize the difference between me, the civilian, and you, the police officer, in this traffic stop. Exactly. If you feel like the time of night and all the things surrounding these circumstances are questionable, maybe you choose not to make the stop. Like, there are so many reasons to me when you use your judgment. Exactly. If you feel like you're outnumbered, maybe retreat in a different way and not use a gun but actually say you know what hang tight go back in your car where you are protected you know there are many ways to kind of handle the situation but because it's such a touchy topic uh a lot of times I back down yeah out of respect probably for sure out of respect but you're right you can't respectfully disagree with the person that can have a healthy debate you cannot respect respectfully disagree with the person that's um, unable to do that <laughs> so exactly I think that you know you have to know your audience and right now it's an audience of two you and I so exactly. whoever wants to hear the conversation continue to listen you know and I never even thought about that it's nighttime mm-hmm. you're one police officer you don't have a partner with you maybe just let that person go because at the end of the day they want to get home to their loved ones and so do you right Right. And so that's what I'm saying about like, like, I mean, I think you made a good point about choosing your job. Choose the job that suits your personality. I might be okay as an officer during the day. (laughs) Everybody will probably get away at night. (laughs) I mean, and maybe, but what was it a month or so ago, the police officer got shot in the face when he thought he was just, you know, going to a domestic call oh yeah yeah. and you know and that was what two o'clock in the afternoon I'm I'm sure when he got the call he wasn't thinking oh today I'm gonna lose my life right you know so it it just it really Uh, at this point is kind of like it's a job right um (laughs) and a lot of us sometimes had to consider jobs that we wouldn't have otherwise considered if we had options or if we felt exactly. like we had options. Right. And so so for some people, I believe you come up in an environment where you are told to get a good job with good benefits and all those things. And we know that police, at least in urban communities, make a pretty penny. And they also make money moonlighting. They make money uh, with overtime. There's so many ways to earn and you have in addition to earning you also have the power that I think is a bigger drug and, and, a bigger and I addiction, would and that's the power 
Exactly. And I was about to say that. So you do have some that have the mentality of, or in my opinion, have the mentality of serve and protect or, you know, get a good job with benefits, something that people can be proud of. Oh, you're a police officer. Yay. You know, and then you have others who either as children were bullies or were the bulliers. I mean, so I said the same thing. We're bullied or we're the bulliers. And Mm -hmm. I think it's a power thing, you know, Mm -hmm. it is, Mm -hmm. okay, now I have this power. Now you have to respect me because like I said before, okay, if it was just say you and I walking across the street or, you know, when I saw you, when I pulled my gun out at you, you have your gun. Oh, you have every right to shoot at me. You know, if I come and I punch you, you have every right to hit me back. And it's going to be like, oh, well, uh, okay, we'll probably get the, the instigator of the incident. You know, I may get in mm-hmm. trouble because I instigated it. In the police civilian kind of d- dynamic, it, it's not that. You know, it's you have to have all of this evidence. How many times prior to George Floyd have we seen police officers get away with shooting someone? The, the Rice boy in, what was it, in Ohio, who was 12, who was playing with a pellet gun? That officer didn't go to jail or anything like that. It, you know, it's a lot of things that they get away with. And I think that power goes to their heads. Look at the incident with the five police officers and beating up the, you know, the one person. I'm sure they did not think in their wildest dreams that they were going to be convicted of a crime. And that's sometimes where civilians dislike the police because they feel that you're not out here trying to protect and serve. You're trying to be a bully and to get away with your bully tactics. Because mm-hmm. if you took the gun and the badge away, you're just like me. And if we went head to head, then then what? You know? Yeah, I think, I mean, there are, there are so many of those instances where we see the abuse of power. And, you know, as black women, you know, I can only really speak from from the perspective of a black woman. I think that there is so much effort and attention put into dehumanizing black bodies, black people, black children. You don't really see it with black girls as much as you see it with black boys. Once they become teenagers, now everybody's afraid of them, whether they are small and look harmless or have had a growth spurt. You can still see in a child's face that they are a child. You can still see the baby face. You can still see the lack of maturity. You can still see so much in the face of um, our children. But I think a lot of times what happens is there is so much dehumanizing and in some ways objectifying young black boys and black men to the point where it's like okay we're kind of playing out a video game or um some type of villain like the black man or the black boy young black boy becomes like the villain and now It doesn't even seem like a human experience because I can't see a situation where as an adult, you walk up on a child 
in broad daylight with a weapon who has his mental faculties and you aren't able to have a conversation with him in the Tamir Rice example. Exactly. That one was difficult for me because I have seen them in cases with white men, grown men with assault rifles, automatics, like (laughs) machine gun type weapons Mm -hmm. and have a conversation. So I know that it's possible, but I also know that when they are faced with other white men, they don't have the fear in the same way they do with black men. Now, there is racial tension in this country, and I don't think anybody can ignore it, but everybody can be talked to. Everybody should deserve the right, you know, everybody deserves the right to have a conversation, to de-escalate, and that is where I think it's important to know whether you can do the job or not. The first thing that should happen should not be you getting going to your gun. That should actually be the last resort, in my opinion. Yep. Now, I had my I found myself having a different response in the shooting of the young man, and and I believe he was a boy. Um, I think it was in Little Village. So this happened to be, I I think the officers both might have been Hispanic. I I don't know if the officer was Hispanic, but I know the little boy was. The the boy was Hispanic and the officer was white. Oh, so I didn't know the race of the people, but I remember the time of night and the incident. I remember like kind of, you know, setting the stage. If we're setting the stage, we have a situation where somebody's heard some gunshots and I'm, I I don't actually really know, can't remember all the details, but, and a man that he was with at the time, take off running. They go down the alley and it is reported, and it may be even the body camera footage says this, I don't know if they have footage, but that the the boy, the young boy was um, raising the gun in the air to surrender. Yes, and, and I've the seen officer. the I've seen oh, the body cam. I have I've seen the body cam footage, and that is exactly what it appeared what appeared to happen. And it was it was extremely fast. And again, like what you said, having a different opinion with seeing the body cam footage and everything like that. In that instance, every all adrenaline, there was really no time to speak. And as soon as the officer pulled his his the trigger one time, and as soon as he realized, he dropped. You know, he called in. You know, tried to help, put pressure mm-hmm. on him. You know, he did everything because he knew, like, oh my goodness. But at that moment, you don't, the, the gun is being raised up. You don't know right. if, you know, is he, is he pulling it to me or is he dropping mm-hmm. it? You know, so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's always different circumstances. And yes. So that one, I was on the other side. That one, I, as hard as it is for me to know that a child got shot, that was a, a judgment call that 
it's difficult to make because like you said we can put that in slow motion but let adrenaline be pumping and it's um the crack of dawn and you're running and you see gun are you gonna wait to see what they're about to do or are you gonna shoot like it just is it's no real time which is why you don't necessarily play with that the person that put that gun in that child's hand is the one that should be responsible but um, that one was hard because I rarely am on the other side. <laughs> I'm rarely <laughs> on the, like, you know what? I think that that was justified, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and I didn't even know the race of the officer because so many officers in Chicago are minorities, you know? But yeah. don't mean that there's less brutality because so <laughs> in the case of those brothers that, that beat down uh, that man, at that point, I think that there is a, a a bleed blue, and I think the blue is power. I don't think it has anything to do with you seeing me as another black man because you have been like we have objectified ourselves in so you know like I guess I guess we have become we've dehumanized each other so much that mm-hmm. now you aren't a person so. I get to treat you how I want to treat you. And I think the, the idea that, um, so that's, a, I mean, it's so many things, but I think the idea that as the officer, I should just respect you is starting to go by the wayside. I think people, everybody deserves respect. Everybody should earn respect. And I think you get a lot of respect by being peaceful with people and going back to it being a peace officer if you speak to people with respect then you probably a lot of times you get out if you don't if you don't become a hothead in the situation and more often than not the officer starts to become defensive and irate and then tells the civilian to calm down (laughs) exactly yeah and that should not be that. Sh- it should actually be the other way around. If you keep a level head, then you, the situation, for the most part, you can keep a handle on it. But as more as you, you know, become tense, the the, the situation gonna tense up or uh, intensify. But uh, let's paint the picture of this scene. <laughs> so okay, the picture of the scene is. So I do agree with you that we could just have a conversation and then kind of um navigate into some part of the story because that is uh, important okay so let's paint the picture of the crime scene in an affidavit submitted by william cook in april 2001 william stated that he and kenneth freeman were driving on juniper street when he saw police lights and we know from the crime scene photos that they were stopped on locust street which is a one-way street going east. We can also assume that while on Juniper, William was driving north since it was reported that the traffic stop was because of him driving the wrong way on a one-way street and Juniper is a one-way street going south. We can also assume that William made a left off Juniper onto Locust since Locust is where the events occurred. During the stop, William pulled behind a vehicle and Officer Faulkner pulled behind him, meaning there were three vehicles at the exact scene on the south side of the street. Williams 
car being in the middle. Mumia was driving north on 13th Street, a one-way street going north, when he drove by and saw that his brother had been pulled over by the police. Mumia parked about a quarter of the way on 13th off Locust on the west side of the street across from a parking lot on the east side. This will become important later. Reports say that Officer Faulkner was initially shot in the back and the crime scene photos show he was between William's car and the car parked in front of William. So basically, reports say that Officer Faulkner was initially shot in the back and the crime scene photos show he was between William's car and the car parked in front of William's. So picture this. Nope, mm -mm. my bad, okay. Reports say the officer Faulkner was initially shot in the back and the crime scene photos show he was between William's car and the car parked in front of William. In William's affidavit, he stated that after a small confrontation with Officer Faulkner, he entered his car to get his registration and, and insurance, which were thrown in the back seat. So picture this, Officer Faulkner was facing the front windshield of William's car as to get a clean line of sight on William and, his, and Kenneth, who was the passenger. We can further conclude that this is true since it was reported that Officer Faulkner not only called for backup, but requested a wagon, which is a larger police vehicle. We know it as a paddy wagon. If I call for backup, oops, okay, then that could be it. <laughs> okay, so that, I think that's cool. Um, I think, uh, I mean, I'll, I'm probably always going to like your reading of it because um, you have a podcast voice. You kind of like the... Um, Octavia, Octavia on that show. Oh, yeah, I love that show. You really think so? I hate my voice. I hate how I sound. It, it sounds. It sounds so great. Um, <laughs> now it, it's higher right now, but when you're reading, it's not. Um, oh, okay. It's, um, but I mean, either way, it sounds good. So, um, let's let's just come with the questions. So. And this is more just the conversational part yeah. of it. Uh -huh. So those are um, the facts based right. on the information that we were able to find. Now, the majority of those facts are coming from the affidavit, pictures of the crime scene that are on um, Daniel Faulkner's page and other witness um, statements. And so, Google Google Maps, Google Maps, the view, because okay. I wanted to see the streets for myself, yeah. like live, and they are still one ways going in the direction that they were on the, that night in 1981, yes. because urban areas don't change that much, <laughs> not at all. So, <laughs> and uh, it is, and we should note this as well, just in this general conversation, that this was considered like not just an urban neighborhood, but like a red light district, you know? So people were outside. It was like clubs. It was the area that kind of didn't sleep, you know, it was the New York of Philly, if you want to say. Yes, I see. Yeah, I get what you're saying. So kind of their busy area. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And... 
So if we are saying, okay, so here are some questions that actually we have from the last episode. The gun that Mumia had was a revolver. So all the shells, all the casings were in the revolver when they found the gun. That's number one. We were asking the question of what kind of gun it was. It was a revolver. Uh, it was a forty-four. I'm no, sorry, a thirty-eight. It was a, it was 38. a thirty-eight revolver. And, and during it only that time, five rounds. Right. And during that time, just to note, because I looked this up, police officers during that time only carried thirty-eight revolvers or three fifty-seven magnums, which still were revolvers just with a longer barrel. I see. So, and so, so the thing for Mumia is, um, is it Mumia or Mumia? That was Mumia. one that I, uh, it's, I hear it's people pronounce it differently because sometimes um, hear, it's all one, like an emphasis on Mia, and some is like Mumia. Like, you so know what I'm saying? I heard, I heard him pronounce it and he said Mumia. Mumia, I see. So, um, his voice is really intriguing. I don't know it what, is. and it could be because um, he is behind a glass or whatever. But he has a very um, his voice kind of penetrates you. In it some does. Way. He was. I mean, he's older now, and you know, life in prison. You know, forty plus years in prison does something to you. But he was a very handsome man as well, and. I've, I've listened to different um, interviews or one interview that he had, but different things that he spoke on. And he is extremely intelligent and articulate, which in sometimes, you know, in some cases, to your point, that also puts fear in people that mm-hmm. are not black. You know, their heart, not just saying police officer, just people in general, because now they're like, oh, this person isn't dumb. You know, he... Mm-hmm. It's just more to fear and no, they can't at that point. It's like, they can't really dehumanize him, but you know, now it's just a different form of them claiming intimidation. If that Mm -hmm. makes sense. You know? So, yeah, I think that, um, I think that oftentimes when people are met with an intelligent person, uh, an intelligent black person, I was going to say person of color, but but I'm specifically talking about black people because that's only the only perspective I can speak from. So, <laughs> um, and people are intimidated by you actually knowing what you say and having confidence in the words that are coming out of your mouth. So, having confidence in what you know and who you are should not be intimidating, but in some ways, it is. It, it is. We find that especially in situations with um, people in positions of authority who don't know how to communicate. So if your only way of communicating with me is hiding behind your badge and not seeing me as a human being, you're going to have a problem because I understand my rights. I understand what respect is. And I'm not going to be disrespectful, but I am going to insist that you respect me. So those things are really important. And I think that sometimes it can be intimidating because 
oh, we got a wise guy, we got a smart ass, like all those things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, but we'll see. Um, so, so, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so, so, I was just gonna say, with the the end of the facts, as far as Officer Faulkner calling for backup, and mm-hmm. you know, and I, if I call for backup and requested a wagon. Um, you know, I'm going to make sure that I have my eye on the people, but I'm also have my head on a swivel. I'm going to be looking around and making sure that I'm protected, you know, in, in all the situations. So, um, that's why sometimes people are like, well, you know, this is what, this is what they say. And they say that he was shot in the back and but how if he's facing forward? And, you know, like I said earlier in the facts of the crime scene where Mumia was parked and the direction that he had to come across the street, unless he was, you know, low crawling or ninja, how Faulkner was standing, there was no way he wouldn't be able to see him. Right. If you did all of that, if you called for backup, which we know he did, and you actually called for a a wagon, then, you know, I mean, and this is just, of course, I can't say what somebody would do. I just would say what I do would do. And that's to me, the logical thing is to have my head on a swivel. If I did all of this already and I'm, you know, I'm facing these, I'm going to be facing them. I'm not turning my back to you. So... That's interesting because, and this is why I say, you can never say you really know what happened or what you have seen or what some or what you can never say you know what happened without actually seeing it with your own eyes. Because, and sometimes seeing it with your own eyes isn't always <laughs> this, this truth, but it's probably the closest to the truth. And the reason I say that is because there are so many different witness statements one witness statement says that William and Kenneth are out of the car that officer Faulkner or had them out of the car and other statements say in in William's statement he says that he got back in the car to get his license and registration and so there was never um, got out the car and so that's William's statement. Mm-hmm. Now, there was a witness, his last name, um, his first name, I think it's actually also William, but I, I, my notes aren't in front of me. But the Singletary is his last name. The witness, mm-hmm. Singletary, he signed a typed statement that said that he saw Mumia shoot the officer. He later recanted his statement and saying that he hand wrote a statement that was three to four pages long, three or four different times that they tore up. He's a veteran. He was a business owner. He had a lot going for himself. He said he felt threatened and they typed up a statement and he signed it. But because he later understood you know the effects of his statement he recanted now many people or I guess 
It is said that he has changed his statement so many times that nobody knows what's true or false. But what he says is he saw the guy, you know, he saw, I guess, heard some of the commotion or whatever with the with the stop. Wasn't really paying that close attention. Um, but he heard a gunshot and moved so he saw that actually no he said he saw the police he saw officer faulkner have william and kenneth out of the car and order them to get out of the car let me actually go get my notes so i can read it from there because this is important right and so while you're doing that i'm gonna say that during that time and of course later on we are going to get to another episode where we discuss the um, climate of the you know of the police of the community of philadelphia Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. which had more than likely had a lot of bearing um we just talked about bullying and you know intimidation factors not you know police being intimidated of black men and black women but police wanting the you know the community to be intimidated by them and um there were a lot of the witnesses who said that their testimonies were changed what you when they said initially hey this is what i saw then the police weren't listening to them. No, no, you couldn't have seen this. Or, you know, saying, well, if you don't say this, then we're going to sentence you. And now people may say, well, okay, now when Mumia gets another trial or, you know, his appeal finally heard years later, now you guys recant and say this. Well, now you really don't have anything on me. But one of the ladies who actually recanted ended up being arrested right on the spot on yes. at the mm-hmm. next you know mm-hmm. at the next trial and but she, yeah but it's one of those so then it kind of makes you think then like you still have some kind of power over people you know back then you were telling her she was gonna get 15 years she was young she was scared yeah okay fine i'll say what you need me to say now i'm an adult i have kids of my own and grandkids or you know not saying she wasn't an adult then but she's she was only like 20 or 21 so now she has children and grandchildren of her own and see the effects you know that her fear cause you know the consequences of her fear for someone else there was also another um actually a caucasian lady in the window who said i saw the person a a man running from the scene so now police if you get to the scene and we are shot and then william is with his brother who was bleeding out and one of the witnesses said well i see someone run but you have two people there. Did they run and run back? I mean, you know, if you run, she don't was, you keep running? And so um, that was Debbie Kredansky, and she was a white woman. And she had, I guess her, um, she had a bird's eye view. 
because she was in her apartment window. So she Correct. is looking down and she sees someone run um, south on she sees someone running down the south side of Lucas Street, which is what Desi Hightower says and Cynthia White. Um, so it's so many witnesses saying many, many things. Now, Veronica Jones was so compelling for me. I think, you know, kind of tugged at my heartstrings because um, I want to say Desi Brown, Cynthia White, and Veronica Jones were all sex workers at the time. Um, you know, they had prostitute prostitution charges or um, some a lot of things going against them. And the persuasion of a police officer and of a deal could probably change a whole lot of things because I'm compromising a lot if I'm compromising my body um, to, you know what I mean? So it's just yeah. so many things, right? Um, so yeah, I think <laughs> um, persuasion, forcing people to make decisions can get the statements that you want. But again, what we said at the beginning was, is that justice? I understand that sometimes they feel, you know, people say, well, if they're not guilty of this, they're guilty of something. So what difference does it make? But in this case, I think that for um, Officer Faulkner's family, it should make a big difference that the person that actually killed your husband, your son, your brother, whoever it is, is actually penalized and not some other person. And so I think to a certain degree, um, you could see them dig their heels in, um, especially the, um, what, it was the FOP guy. That man was angry. What is his name? I have his name somewhere. Man, that man was angry. When you see him speaking, you can see his disdain for Mumia and probably every other black person. But uh, it looks kind of like what we see sometimes on TV now, but that's a different, a different topic. I got my notes. I'm looking at my notes now, and this is how I'm coming up with all this stuff. <laughs> so I got my notes because... Oh, the FOP dude. One thing I think we can name an episode after of this. I think he was absolutely locked in on Mumia from the beginning. I think all of them were. They he, all were. Absolutely. And he says in one of that, that documentary, the HBO documentary, he is recorded to say the burden is on the defense. Exactly. Where well, we, we know that is that. right. That is <laughs> not, not the truth. That be. is not how it is. <laughs> it, the burden of proof is on the prosecution, and I mean they're not going to have the prosecution is going to have a super easy job if the police are intimidating witnesses to change their story or persuading them or giving them alleged deals, you know, to change their stories to the um to what they want the stories to be um going back to the crime scene their photos showing 
an officer holding both of the guns, Mumia's gun and Officer Faulkner's gun. So it's like you are compromising the crime scene. You are compromising evidence, um, everything. Who knows, you know, when ballistics was done on Mumia's weapon, they they couldn't even get any fingerprints to show who shot, who shot the gun. What if someone else shot Officer Faulkner, left the scene, and then when they found Mumia's gun, they were just like, you know what, we're going to just shoot it. Because uh, they can't, there were all of the five rounds were shot because there were five casings in the gun, but only four shots were found at the crime scene. Well, five, if you want to add the one that is in, was in Mumia's chest. So it's like, okay, so now you can't, the ballistics, you can clearly show that the ballistics on Officer Faulkner's gun, you know, show that that bullet in Mumia came from Faulkner's gun. However, they want to claim that the bullets in Faulkner and the ones that they pulled out the building that allegedly missed Faulkner were too mangled to even come to, you know, to match to see if they came from Umiya's gun. So if you're already at the crime scene and you're, you know, you're not properly managing this you know you have so many police officers around you have police officers picking up evidence without gloves um that who who knows and because so it's weird because now you're like we we don't know who shot the 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 gun um so maybe somebody wiped prints because Mm -hmm. to me i would think and i mean i'm no forensic expert but you can pull different prints off. And a lot of times in crime scenes, say if a police goes and they're in there, they will, you know, um, take out their prints. Basically, mm-hmm. I can't think of the word right now, but but basically, you know, deduct them from it. Like, okay, so we know you were in here. We gonna take your, your prints out of this crime scene. So if they can do that, I'm pretty sure that they can do that for a gun. Yeah, they didn't have a lot of DNA evidence and things back then, but they did have the fingerprint analysis take, you know, and so they could have been like, oh, okay, well, you held the gun, so we're going to take your fingerprints off. Let's see if we can lift some other ones, you know, but no, it wasn't that. So that kind of leads me to think, oh, more of a cover up. We got there. We saw this, this n-word with a gunshot wound to his chest bam he did it because why else would Faulkner fire so let's let's play hypothetical here (laughs) so say if the crime scene or the scene that took place was exactly how William stated so officer Faulkner is between the car in front of Williams and Williams Faulkner is facing forward and like I said, if I'm nervous, you know, I called in for backup. It's dark. You know, it's in this kind of sketchy area. Um, I'm going to have my head on a swivel. So now say I see Mumia coming across the street on a diagonal because that's kind of how he would have to, to cross the street on a diagonal. So I see him. So if I'm already a little timid, my hand might already be on my weapon you know, just, just in case. So now I see someone coming across. So now my, my, 
line of sight goes from the two individuals in the vehicle to this man coming across the street because I'm wondering like what do you want what are you coming across the street from now someone who knows could be the passenger could be somebody walking down the street but somebody now my my direction has changed maybe not just my head maybe my whole body kind of turned to an angle so I can watch this this guy coming from across the street through the parking lot or whatever but on a diagonal and I'm wondering like what are you what are you doing so now my body turns that gives somebody a clear shot to shoot me in the back so now if I already have my gun on the weapon on my I mean my hand on my weapon and my my vision you know I'm looking towards this man that's coming across the street I might shoot the person that's in my line of sight now I I take you know I've taken gun classes and all of that shooting and they always say shoot what you're looking at you know you you point your gun in a direction that you're looking so if if I'm sitting here and now my focus is on this person that's coming across the street no longer on the people in the car because I think okay they're fine I'm you know I'm just looking at this one real quick because this one is a complete unknown now I'm gonna turn and I'm gonna be like oh and now that gives somebody else. And if you look at the crime scene photos where Faulkner fell, he fell right between. Say if we, we go to single, is it Singletary? Single, Singletary? Singletary. Singletary. Singletary witness statement. And he had both of the gentlemen out of the car. That means he would have them closer away from the cars, probably closer to the building. Correct. So how do you have him right there, but then you fall and your head, your feet are in the street, and your head is towards the building. If you got so, shot in your back. So let me summarize his account now, or the one the account in his own words. Now he said that he wrote his statement four times and they tore it up, typed something up, and then he signed it. But he also said that he was intimidated because. He had businesses and they were talking about um, there being a whole lot of consequences. So we know that people, there have been false false confessions and all those things. You intimidate somebody enough, they'll probably just say just about anything to get out of it, especially if they feel like they're not affected by it. But I also know that we know as people, we when you are taught to do the right thing, that stuff eats away at you. And at a certain point, you say it's not worth it. So exactly. this may be the situation that we have here. So what he says is the Volkswagen was driving the wrong way down Locust. The cop had guys go against the wall. So he had William and Kenneth go against the wall. They were talking back and forth. Um, well, actually, the cop had William go against the wall. They were talking back and forth. The passenger jumped out, pulled the handgun out. Um, and then Mr. Singletary, who's also, whose name is also William, went and dug for cover when he saw the gun. He saw the passenger shoot the cop in the face, place the gun in the Volkswagen, and run down Locust Street. And then somebody came who it seems to be Mumia. Somebody comes running up and said, what just happened? He tells them, 
um, somebody just shot a cop and took off running. And Mumia goes, and he said, he says that Mumia, he didn't say Mumia, he just says, the person says, oh man, we don't really need this. And goes and tries to offer, tries to offer, offer Officer Fox. So he goes and tries to offer Officer Fox, Fox shit. He goes and tries to offer he goes and offers. Uh, he goes and goes. tries to offer, offer <laughs> Officer Faulkner aid. Right. So he offers Officer Faulkner some aid, and that's when his weapon discharged. That is okay. his statement. He's okay. Basically, Mumia is going to say, "Right to say, can I help you?" And he had his op- the the gun discharged then. And then the cops show up and they see both of these two people shot. And the gun that actually shot Officer Faulkner is in the Volkswagen, according to Singletary. The gun also got left at the scene. But we never so, heard anything about a third gun. Okay. So I wouldn't believe him. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. And the reason I wouldn't believe him, any of his if that's his if that's his statement. And that's not the statement. That was that was a when he basically came back and yes. said, "Okay, no, I wouldn't believe him for a few reasons. Number one, the direction that all of the cars were facing on Locust, going east, there was no way that they would be facing that way if William was driving down Locust the wrong way. The cars would have been facing." west in the crime scene photos there's no way that a cop is any police officer is gonna if you're going the wrong way they're gonna pull you over or have you do a u-turn so now you're going in the right direction it's it's not gonna it's no so that's number one Um, wait wait let's back up so you're saying that you don't believe that the car was driving down the wrong way on lucas or on Locus? locus no no no, because but I thought the, we already identified that it was driving the wrong way because it was on, going on, down on, the wrong way on Juniper. So on in Juniper, no, yes. I thought that I saw no. So in William Cook's oh, statement, that too. I, in William know. Cook's statement, he said that he was driving down Juniper when he saw the police lights. Juniper runs north and south. So in order for all the vehicles, William Cook's and Faulkner's vehicle, to be going east on Locust, which is a one-way going east, they had to be coming off of Juniper and making a left, So, which would have put them going south on Juniper. And Juniper is a one-way going um going so this is where this is where the dissecting the case i think becomes extremely extremely important because at least based on my um and i'm trying to find this crime scene i think i sent it to you in the message but at least based on the my preliminary uh research the crime scene was 13th and locust exactly and juniper is one block (laughs) right so and and i pulled up 
which I posted. I thought I posted the crime scene in the chat, but for I some did. reason I can't see it. Okay, well, not let me be great. I posted it. Trust me, because when I was writing, I needed to know, and I, because I'm like, how did he get pulled over going the one way on Locust, going the wrong way on Locust when their fate, their their vehicles are both faced in the right direction? Mm-hmm. And so I, mean, I, I hear you. I think um, you would you would just have to see it, and that's why I pulled it up on Google yeah. Maps too because I needed to see where Juniper was, and Juniper is where say 14th um 14th might have been so it's like a block or so going um west of 13th I hear you I'm I'm so I'm not doubting what that you believe that but I'm trying no 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 it's not a belief uh, it's a it's an actual what I saw so yeah right I see yeah it's not that that is your that is your assessment but let me me, I'm gonna it's it's literally the 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 picture all and I'm not gonna even say the be, no and the only reason is because you're saying like oh you believe it like oh I looked and this is what this I'm I'm literally looking at it right now and the Boy, reason why I, find, geez, Louise, I, why can't I, find this I just texted to you oh I want to see the picture of the crying thing that's what I just this, did so from your um from the Faulkner website Go, it's the same one, but I can send it that to you too. You know the one from the Faulkner website, they have um the things kind of I think I took a screenshot. Um Okay, here it is. Jeez, damn, it took me forever. So copy, let me just copy this into my notes. Okay, so um, so you're saying you don't believe Mr. Singletary. Well, there, and that's why I say it's important. I think it's important to say that um, he, his statement has so many inconsistencies. And this is why people say don't cry wolf because <laughs> nobody well, believes you at a certain well, point. You lie so much. Exactly. Right. And that's not even just listening to his now statement, you know, right. even if he recanted. <laughs> it's not even that. I'm just, what I'm saying is, I'm looking at the facts. You, he said that this, that they were going down the wrong way. Just looking at the facts, looking at the crime scene, both of the cars are facing east so what you're saying mr singletary is that this cop had this gentleman make a u-turn so now their cars are facing in the right direction well i hear what you're saying i do understand what you're saying and i'm gonna look at what you see first before i make make my next point and this boy i'm telling you we we definitely could talk because we're supposed to be having a 30-minute recording session. We end up with two hours. Um, so let's see. So we got 
So even the crime scene, I only see 13th and Locust. Where's the exactly? Um, I'm saying so that's, okay. No, so that's what I'm saying. They're only showing you. That's why I did Google Maps so I could see where Juniper was in relation to 13th and Locust because they're not going to show you. What they're going to show you is where the crime scene is. The crime scene happened right. on 13th and Locust. But what I'm saying even then is Mr. Singletary is saying that William was going down the wrong way on Locust. And mm -hmm. I'm saying, how can that be when both of the vehicles, the police vehicle and William's vehicle, are facing east, which that's the way that Locust runs. I see what you're saying. I, I understand what you're saying. That's all so, I'm saying right I think, there. Yeah, okay. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. So it just basically... Um, right there, off the bat. That point like, right there, he's he not talking. He's right, he like, kind of trying to make it, it, make it sound too good. So, right, like, okay, I want him to get off. <laughs> yeah, so this is what they've been saying is, yeah. you know, he was going on the wrong way. And the thing is, <laughs> a lot of people probably at that time... Because William Cook's affidavit wasn't, you know, submitted to the courts until 2001. So yeah. they didn't even know. So the only people that knew, you know, that he was going down the wrong way is they probably called it in. When Faulkner probably called it in, he said, I'm pulling over this car that's going the wrong way because we can find that recording. I'm pulling over this car going the wrong way and where we're at. So we're on 13th and Locust. You know what I mean? Not saying, oh, I'm, I'm pulling on this guy who was Driving going down, the wrong Juniper. way. Juniper. Down, exactly. Down, he was I just saying. You. So when people see that, they're just like, oh, he was driving down the wrong way. Not putting into effect. Right. Like, okay, who, what, what police officer is going to be like, hey, bust the U-turn. So now we're both going the right way. No. I mean, how many times have you seen somebody get pulled over and really they're pulling them over where they are? Like, dude, you're stopping all this traffic. You can't have them pull over? No, I'm stopping them right here. So, um, so, so taking that, into account what he said about going down the wrong way, you basically are like, throw everything away. Throw the whole state. Well, and no. I'm, I'm, going, I'm actually, I think that that's a good point. Because no, so I I'm think saying that that's that. how juries hear it. I, yeah. I think it's a good point because I think it's how juries hear things. You have so been too. lying every which way. Mm -hmm. How do I know what you say is true now? Exactly. Which is why the witness intimidation is effective because it, it really you get is. the result on the first try. Anytime after that, now you were a liar then or you're a liar now. So it's always going to call into question your integrity exactly. coming up later. So I think, you know, um, and we and we I know we're going to get to this when we talk about the trial. But just to throw this out, little teaser, there it wasn't a jury of his peers. Right. The, right. the prosecution. Yeah, we'll <laughs> right. So, you know, so that's again. And only saying yeah. that is because when you have majority of white jurors, they're not going to understand intimidation. They're not going to understand that even though, like for me, even though I'm a law-abiding citizen, I still understand intimidation of a Black person. You know what I mean? I've seen it. I've seen it in a way that is subtle, even with being in corporate America or, you know, whatever. That is, you know, how they, how they try, how privilege is involved. So when you don't see it or you don't understand it, then you're going to be, it could come like, hold on to your point. 
oh, they're lying. You know, if it's a jury of majority of black people, then later on the defense says, you know, this witness says that the police intimidated them and said that this and we're more likely to believe that and say, oh, okay, now I see it. However, with this gentleman, not even, like I said, not even his going back and forth, because again, I can understand the witness intimidation and I want to paint this picture of this crime scene and this the events that happened. However, when all I look at is straight facts of how the cars were placed, where Faulkner's body fell, everything that you're saying is <laughs> not possible, sir. Right. Okay, I got you. I mean, and I'm, I'm not going to say, okay, I so. shouldn't say, I shouldn't say it's not possible. It's just more alive. It doesn't line up, right. It doesn't it's, line right. up with the facts it's that we are like, able to put together at this point. Exactly. And people's versions of what happened, I think, um, you know, think about any story you're trying to tell 15 years later. You feel like you remember it vividly, but your version of it is probably colored by things that you've heard as well. Exactly. So heard, read, mm-hmm. everything. Yep. So, so it is. But I know you said you had a hard stop at seven, right? I, well, my I'm going to karate at seven thirty. So yeah, um, we'll wrap up. I think, man, it's a good conversation. So I think it's a couple things. Um, I had. So one thing I had was um, there were no street lights on the street, which was really important. It was dark. Um, and whatever. So according to the prosecution, the, the way that they lay out the story is Faulkner was stopped. Or Faulkner stopped. Officer Faulkner stopped Williams' car on the corner of 13th and Locust. We know it's not necessarily on the corner, but that was, you know, right. So (laughs) close enough. uh, Right. Williams got out, argued with. William got out and argued with Officer Faulkner, and Officer Faulkner hit William. This is the prosecution's, um, the prosecutor, um, Joseph McGill. And William got out. Right, so William got out and argued with Officer Faulkner. Officer Faulkner hit William. So we know that at some point, William is out of the car and not in the car looking for his registration. No, no, and that was what I was saying. Yes, how the events happened. He was out of the car first, and then he went in the car because for whatever reason, he calmed down or whatever, and was told to go get your registration and so he gets hit and then after getting hit you go and calm down and go find registration you know it it doesn't sound when i read it no when i read it again when i read it it doesn't make sense however so i'm saying so let's play let's play no no and i am but play devil's advocate here it doesn't make sense However, if you're trying to secure a crime, you know, a scene that might have been hostile that you didn't think was going to be hostile and you have two people and you're waiting for your backup to come because they're taking a little longer than what you expected. Would you not maybe either? Well, for me, I probably would pull both of them out the vehicle because I don't know what's in the car. 
but maybe in that that setting he was like you know what go ahead and just get your stuff you know who who knows what the conversation that was make sense to me that so it, that is it doesn't part, though. like if you are if you feel unsafe mm-hmm. i think what you have been saying even in you know in our conversation is you keep your head on the swivel. I'm mm-hmm. not letting you go back in your car. Oh, I definitely wouldn't let you. Right. I definitely it, wouldn't let you go your back registration, in your car. Your, I just hit you, number one. Mm-hmm. Okay, but, uh, but okay. <laughs> I'm okay. not letting you go back in your car. Reach over your seat to go in the back of your seat to find rifle through some papers right. to get me registration. I'm not letting you do that. So I, I don't know either. that I necessarily buy that. So um, this is so again playing devil's advocate here. I wouldn't. However, how arrogant and this is when we need to get into the climate and how everything was mm-hmm. back then. How arrogant a lot of police were just from seeing documentaries and things. It's like, oh, I hit you. Now I got control of this monkey. I got control of this dog. Because to your point, dehumanizing them. So now I hit you. I did this. Now I have control. Now you're going to respect what I say. So although, you know, yeah, for us, I'm like, I'm not letting you back in your car. I need to see you hands, all of this. In their mind, it might be something completely different that I got control over this situation now because I just hit this dog. Just like if you, you hit a, a, an animal or something or discipline them, you're like, okay, well, I turn my back out because I got control now. So go mm-hmm. ahead. Because then you're going to end up attacked like uh, Siegfried and Roy. <laughs> exactly. So that's different. But see, hold on. That's the difference between our logic, though. Because right. my thing is just like to your point at the beginning. Do I really need to pull you over? What are you? Are you swerving? Are you doing something that's just going to kill everybody? Or do I want to get home and, and finish this shift and let you do the same thing? You know, so it's it's how our logic is versus somebody else's. Do I feel it makes sense? No. But also looking at the, the crime scene or the area just in general where Faulkner fell. So you're telling me you pulled them out the car, which this could be. You could have pulled them. You stayed between the car and you had both the passenger and the driver standing next to the car you know what I mean like you it could be but when you look at the crime scene it's like okay I could see that he was facing forward you know because of how his body Mm -hmm. fell and where his head was and you know what I mean so I can see all of that you know or he could have been with his back you know them out of the car and him, you know, on a diagonal, his back towards the other side of the street. And then with that, that probably could lead more to Mumia shooting him. So that is, so the prosecution's um, version, and you know, they make up a salacious version so that um, they can get conviction. They create a a story of of their own, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, the prosecution's version is um, William gets out the car, argues with Officer Faulkner. Officer Faulkner hits Will. And as that is happening, Mumia is running across the street from the parking lot and takes out his revolver and shoots Officer Faulkner in the back. Officer Faulkner then turns around to shoot Mumia, hitting him in the chest. Officer Faulkner falls down. Mumia stands over Officer Faulkner and fires four times. 
The gun had five bullets. All casings were left in the revolver. And one of the shots went between Officer Faulkner's eyes. So my challenge with that is the blood does not show that. The blood evidence does not show that. It does like not. you said, there was um, there were no fingerprints. So to me, you wiped the gun clean so that it wouldn't prove, so it wouldn't disprove what you're saying. So there's exactly. nothing to find there, which is helpful to me in saying that maybe you are trying to, um, you're locked in on a person that you can't prove uh, that actually committed this crime. So there are no fingerprints. They didn't do any gun residue testing on Mumia. And... Um, there was no gunpowder on Officer Faulkner's vest or shirt. I think that all of that is worth noting because we are saying that Mumia was so close that he shoots him in the back and then turn that Officer Faulkner turns around and shoots him in the chest. But the way that the gun, uh, I'm sorry, the way that the bullet entered Mumia's body is in a different angle, on a different angle. And we can go into that on the next episode, on another episode. But I think understanding how the blood, <laughs> what the pictures of the blood is showing us, what the gunpowder or lack thereof, no fingerprints, and the way the bullets entered each of their bodies can tell us whether they were shooting at each other. But I think it's more logical, like you said, somebody shoots uh, Officer Faulkner in the back and Momia is in his line of sight and he shoots him because it's just out of reflex. I have my hand on my gun and now I just pull it out and I'm whoever's in, in my way is going to get it. Which, right. you know... Is, I mean, is not 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 necessarily unreasonable. But, exactly, um, and uh, we've never been yeah. shot, so right. we don't know how the blow of being shot, you know, how it feels, and if you know, just from that, like you said, just reflexes, and I'm already looking that way, so that's the way that my gun goes. Yeah, I think that that is, um, and like you said, the blood. Mm -hmm. the if, blood if, the pictures of the blood um everywhere you see the everywhere you i've seen the pictures of the blood none of it says that momia gets shot and stands over exactly Officer and that's Faulkner. my thing right because you have blood coming from the street or you will have it on the sidewalk more than where it, it was Faulkner. <laughs> like, you would have his blood he gets shot in the chest. You would have his blood on Officer Faulkner mm -hmm. if he stood over him and fired. And if he did that at point blank range, only one bullet hits his. You, you know, it's just so many different. Um, exactly, and not to mention, to consider. you have four bullets, like we said. But then the prosecution is saying, "Oh, he shot. He shot multiple times, and they they." Did they missed so close up one actually hits you in the head but I'm that close to you and no other and one none of the other ones and right. they're it just not and, and then they're <laughs> right then there are no marks on the ground from where I'm supposed I supposedly missed but right. then there's 
there's a total of three bullets in a building. One that went through Officer Faulkner, the one that hit him in the back and went through, and then two other ones that I supposedly missed. So, but then where's the fifth bullet? And because for me, an officer involved shooting, I'm scanning everywhere. I'm going to look everywhere for this. I'm going to pull up the grate that the officer fell by. I'm going to pull all that. I'm look. I'm looking for that, that fifth bullet. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I think um, this is good. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> um, and it's looking more like um, what's going on with Kenneth. Exactly. Oh, yeah, Kenneth. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I think right. I might add that to <laughs> <Yeah>. my... <laughs> okay. <laughs> That is uh, a good way to end. <laughs> so what's going on with Kenneth? Okay, so I am going to try to chop this up and we'll see how it works out. Exactly. Uh, but this, okay. this is this is like, if nothing else, it's some great conversation. Please. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay. But I think it's going to be more than great conversation. I think it's I think so content, too. For sure. Um, absolutely. And we'll probably tour, and I think we should just record it all and um, kind of find the direction that we want to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, cool. All right. So I'm going to edit, and then I'll send you, um, I'll just send you a note when I uh, am done so you can play it. Obviously, you're going to be relaxing, chilling this weekend, but I'll let you know. Okay, sounds good. All right, right. right. take care. Be safe. You too, bro.